are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. The scripture this morning is found in Luke, the 24th chapter. When I was here at Bible conference about three years ago, I preached on the cross using the text, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And again, we'll go to the cross. Near the cross, I would forever stay, weep and gaze my soul away. Thou art heaven on earth to me, lovely, mournful Calvary. I shall begin to read at verse 27. And there followed him a great company of people and of women which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wounds that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Human hatred had done its worst. The Lord of glory had been nailed to the cross of Calvary. A godless rabble around the cross bowed down in mockery. They shut out their lips. They wagged their heads. They challenged Jesus to come down from the cross. Jesus could have stepped down off of that cross. He could have come down from that cross just as he came from his heavenly throne down to the manger in Bethlehem. But if he had done so, they would have said he was a strong man. He pulled himself off of the cross. Or they would have said God delivered him. But they would have denied his deity. By staying on the cross, he proved it. After they took him down and put him in the tomb of Joseph, and three days passed, he broke the ceremonies of the grave and walked out a living Christ. 
And we're told in the fourth verse of Romans that he is declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. The great sign of his deity was his resurrection. He could have come down, and yet there is a sense in which he could not have come down. If he were to save others, he could not save himself. And that scoff of the Jews, in that sense, is true. And it was the Father's will. He cried, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. It was not possible in the will of the Father. He had to die. He saved others. Himself he could not save. They said, come down and we'll believe. And there is a sense in which he could not come down, though he could have. He was held to that cross, not so much by the nails that were driven through his hands and feet, as by the spikes of his own passion. He was held there by the Father's will. Then Jesus prayed, when he could do nothing else. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And by so doing, he taught us that we can always pray. Every nerve was strained to the utmost and made a road for the hot feet of pain to walk upon. All of his bones were out of joint, for he was nailed to the cross so that they pulled out of joint. First, they drove spikes through his wrists, which are part of the hand. The spike going down between the bone and the leader and the veins, the artery on each hand. And he was hanged first so that the weight of his body pulled against those two nails. This was by design. This was to expand the chest cavity and make it difficult for him to breathe. The Romans were adept at the art of crucifixion. And this would hasten death. And hanging on those two nails, the chest cavity was expanded. Then they crossed his feet and brought them on the upright as high as they could raise them. And one spike was driven through into the wood, bruising his heel. The only death that bruises the heel is death by crucifixion. And now the weight of his body pulled against three nails, pulling his bones out of joint and fulfilling the prophecy of Psalm 22, all of my bones are out of joint. They that look upon me wag their heads and shoot out their lips, saying he saved others himself he could not save. Then, in that awful agony, in order to fill his lungs with air so he could pray, he pulled up on those three nails. And he kept on saying, Father, forgive them. So the Greek tense indicates repeated action, not the completed action. He kept on saying, Father, forgive them. 
They know not what they do. It was an awful pain, but Jesus prayed. And he taught us that we could always pray. The day was long. The burden I had borne seemed heavier than I could longer bear. And then it lifted. But I did not know that someone had knelt in prayer, had taken me to God that very hour and asked the easing of the load. And faith, a reaching hand, took hold of God that day and brought him down. We know not how often as we pray for some bewildered one, hurt and distressed, the answer comes. But many times those hearts find sudden peace and rest. So many, many hearts have need of prayer. Oh, let us pray. We are not in such agony. Jesus prayed under such circumstances. We can always pray. Years ago in Eugene, Oregon, I was in a campaign in the First Baptist Church and Dr. Vance Webster took me to a hospital where we found a man bedridden. His hands were drawn with arthritis, but it seemed as if the bones were about to protrude through the skin on the backs of his wrists. He lay flat on his back with cataracts on his eyes, and he had earphones on his head because he was deaf. And paralyzed as he was, he had almost lost the power of speech. He spoke in a hoarse whisper into a microphone erected just above where he lay. And we had to speak into a microphone to, through those earphones. And he had lost complete use of his lower limbs. He could use one finger to push a button and call for service. But on his emaciated face, I saw a light I've seldom seen on a human countenance. I did not have to be told by Dr. Webster that here was an unusual man of God. I could sense it when I stepped into the room. The old saint said, Brother Parker, I'm glad to know you. I've been praying for you. How I rejoiced as I heard the broadcast from the church yesterday morning, Sunday morning. A star football player from the Ducks team, the University of Oregon, was converted. He said, I've been praying for that young man. God has answered my prayers. He said, I was praying for others who were saved yesterday. He named some of them. And he said, I have a prayer ministry. I was praying that God would send somebody to take dictation for me. Two young ladies came and said, we're secretaries. We'll be glad to take your dictation. So I have written to every man and woman who has gone out from this city into the various branches of our country's service and have requested them to send their prayer request to me. And by this means, he said, I've had the joy of leading some of them to Christ. Will you read those two letters there on the table? Dr. Webster read one and I read the other. They were from men who were converted through that man's so-called prayer ministry. I walked out of that room and I wiped the tears from my cheeks. And I said, oh, God, help me to realize that no matter how obscure a person's place in life may be, no matter how handicapped one may be, he can have a great part in the cause of Jesus Christ.
even on a cross. Jesus prayed. Then, said Jesus, Father, forgive them. He was as much God as is the Father. But he was the unique God-man. In his humiliation, he stayed in character as a human being. So he prayed, Father, forgive them. And by so, so doing, he taught us that we may call upon the Father. And though he called in his own name, we call in that same authority. In the name of Jesus. He said, whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If Jesus could sign the check made out to cash and his signature is honored at the bank of heaven, that same signature is no less honored when the check is made out to you or me. If God answered Jesus' prayer, he'll answer my prayers. He'll answer your prayers in his name. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They were ignorant, but they needed forgiveness. And the one thing for which he prayed was their forgiveness. In his dying hours, that's the greatest need of humanity. Forgiveness. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing flood? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? A young lady said to me, I'll be at church every time the door opens. I'm going to live right. I'm going to be a Christian. I asked, what about your past sins? Have you been born again? Have you been forgiven? Are you cleansed? She said, if I do all right, I think I'll get to heaven. Oh, no. You need Jesus. God lays out humanity like a patient on the examining table. And as a physician examining the patient, he says from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet, there are open putrefying sores. They cannot be bound up or mollified with oil. He looks at man's hands and says they're lifted up to shed blood. He looks at his feet and says they're swift in running to mischief. He looks at his eyes and says there is no fear of God before their eyes. The way of peace have they not known. He pulls back the lip and says the poison of asps is under his lips. He looks into the mouth and says whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. He looks into the throat and says their throat is an open sepulcher. He gets out his stethoscope and listens to the heartbeat. And he says, the heart is a deceiver as distinguished from all else. Yaakov Halev, a heart, an old sheep-stealing supplanter, the heart as distinguished from all else, Miko, from man. It's the most deceptive thing in all the world. Who can know it? And the physician shakes his head and says, The patient hath a malignant heart. And somebody says, Doctor, is there any hope for the patient? Ah, yes, there's hope. But the patient must receive a new heart. 
except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Forgive them. They need forgiveness. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. Who were they? They were all kinds of people. Old long-bearded Pharisees with their broad phylacteries, making prayers for a pretense, but devouring widows' houses. Religious people. People steeped in religious prejudice and pride. The hardest people on the face of the earth to reach for God. Forgive them. Hard, self-righteous, religious sinners. Criminals, Barabbas the murderer. Soldiers so hardened they could gamble for the garments of a dying Christ. Dying thieves. And a milling mob of curiosity seekers. People who had come out to see the miracle man crucified, see whether he could come down from the cross. Curious people and careless people. Just there with the crowd. People who don't think. If a thought wandered into their brains, their heads would burst. Hard people to reach. The hardest people in all the world. Just careless people. Hard cases. But there are no hard cases with Jesus. If you know the most miserable wretch in South Carolina, if you can get to him, you tell him you've got good news for him. Tell him that God loves him and Christ can save him. Forgive them. Hard cases. You and I were there represented. I shall never forget when that dawned on me. That day I was teaching a Sunday school class, had been a church member ten years, but was not saved. Worldly, sinful, lost, teaching Sunday school. Nineteen years of age. And uh, I had been to hear Old Dr. Bob Shuler preached the week before, and he screamed out and said, Your sins crucified Jesus. And I was teaching the lesson on the stoning of Stephen. And uh, I said, Boys, Stephen had the spirit of Jesus. He prayed for those who crucified or who put him to death. And Dr. Shuler's words came back to me, Your sins crucified Jesus. And I said, Boys, your sins crucified Jesus. They bowed their heads in shame. And the Spirit of God took a knife of conviction and stabbed my heart to the cord. I said, boys, my sins crucified Jesus. I'm a sinner and I'm not fit to teach your class. You pray for me. They bowed their heads and began to pray. And I trusted Christ as my Savior. And it was reading this verse. To show that Christ prayed for those who put him to death. That I found Christ as my Savior. In evil, 
Long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood. He fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never till my latest breath shall I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. Another look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou mayest live. With pleasing grief and mournful joy, my spirit off is filled to think that I should such a life destroy, yet live by him I killed. In the very blood that my sins brought out of his veins, the guilt of nailing him there was washed away. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, what need, what awful need the world has today for forgiveness. Ignorant? Knowing not, but knowing. They knew what they did. They did not know what they did. They did not know the enormity of their sin. They knew they were crucifying a man and that he was the God-man. They were convinced of that. The centurion beat his breast and said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. But they did not realize the enormity of their crime. He suffered in their stead for their sins, in my stead, in your stead, for your sins. They're blind without Jesus. They have enough light to bring condemnation upon them. The world is lost. Lost. Soul. That you can woo to Christ with the story. What responsibility rests upon the heads of people. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.